Welcome to the Midwest Nice Podcast, the show with honest political discourse dipped in ranch. This is your host, John Flynn, and today I'm joined by Lauren Kaufman, Mariel Brown-Fallon, and special guest Sarah Cedarberg. Keep your accent strong and the chips and cheese close by, because you're going to need it. Let's get the show started. you guys but i think i nailed that intro nailed it i actually just for our listeners out there i messed up the recording of it for the first time I'm drinking coffee today and i hope got a bubble clap. in my throat please please don't cut that oh. please include both openings <laughs> please yeah clap. please clap for the listeners yes. good job john thank you um very special episode today we have a special guest uh sarah cedarberg hey Everybody, guys oh i should have I, I was gonna do the drum roll first you know what do it again. You know what? It's fine. Sarah we'll Cedarberg. Just, Sarah, Z- Sarah Cedarberg is here. Welcome. I'm messing everything up today. It's yeah. Just, it's just my thing. Uh, and Lauren's also back. Yes. After my uh, crime spree last week, I have been released she on was, bond. She was arre- yeah, she was arrested Whatever. for helping run that illegal casino in South Lansing. Yes. And she's back. And Sarah, back. did you hear about that? No. So it, it was uh, our like uh, fun story of the day last week. Um, there was five women in South Lansing who got arrested. Well, they got arrested last year. Were on trial for running an illegal casino out of like a ten dollar and under store that had like sixty pinball like slot machines, like this really big operation. So we said it's the closest we're ever going to get to Ocean's Eight. Yeah, it's a low rent mm-hmm. Ocean's Eight. Yeah, so. and we were just talking about Ocean's Eight because some people in the office finally saw it. I was the Rihanna. So yes, Lauren was the Rihanna. Seems legit for South Lansing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, anyways, so the reason Sarah is here, uh, so Sarah, special guest today, she is the director of digital evangelism at the firm where we all work, um, and she's a been a political consultant for a long time, uh, specializing in digital. So we're gonna we're gonna break down what the hell digital is and working in politics and all this sort of fun things that we always talk about. Uh, so, how, what was your first political thing that you ever did? Ooh, first political thing I ever did. Well, technically, it would have been when I was still in college. I think it was after freshman year. I was an intern for Senator John Kerry. Uh, it was nice. a re-election campaign. <laughs> you and mean most- spy. <laughs> <laughs> you mean anti-Russian spy, John Kerry. And just want to point out that, yes, yeah, Sarah and I are both like technically from Massachusetts, so we got to shout that out. You're both mass yes. Technically, both but it gets complicated because I was originally born right. in Chicago. Right. So I have Midwestern roots, which we'll, we'll get into a little Still bit counts. more. But yeah. Okay, One well, I needed a little bit of camaraderie right now, Sarah, so just fingers, like but. embrace it and... Uh, Show mass some love. My, my parents are still there. Right. So, you exactly. Know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a good place. But yeah, it was uh, Senator John Kerry. It was mostly just making phone calls, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing intern things around the office, organizing papers, nothing too crazy. But it was still a lot of fun, and I felt really cool and important when I told people what I was doing. So, mm-hmm. so that was like your... So, like, what you did was, like, a lot of the traditional field work that we've talked about on this show, right? So that was, like, knocking on doors, making calls, sitting in a field office, drinking old coffee, like, things like that. Yeah, I would say that I probably didn't 
do enough field work as I would have liked to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my first like kind of real taste of being a part of a campaign that actually took field work seriously was the Obama campaign in 2008. So I was I went to college in the Philadelphia area and I was living in Philly at the time. Um, and you know, Obama's campaign was really inspiring. Uh, and I got involved in West Philly where I was living at the time, just mostly knocking doors, making phone calls, um, all the good, you know, grassroots organizing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also really into just kind of like posting pictures of what I was doing on the doors and like the people I was meeting. And I think it was kind of at that moment there where I realized kind of the power of what social media and digital could do for campaigns, you know, mm-hmm. telling the story and kind of bringing people in by seeing how fun it was because mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Um, but that was kind of more just on a volunteer basis. So it really wasn't until 2012 that I actually got paid to do uh, digital on a campaign, which was with Obama's campaign uh, here in the great state of Michigan. Before we get more into digital, do you have any good door knocking stories? We've all sort of shared them. Ooh, man. Um, I mean, I think the one that I can think of is being offered uh, uh, a beer. I think that was in West Philly somewhere. Um, You know, mostly just wanted to talk about how awesome Obama was. And I had a lot of doors to knock, so I kept politely trying to get myself out of there. Mm -hmm. But the family's like, no, stay. You know, we want to talk about it. Do you know Obama? I'm like, well, no. (laughs) Yeah. Give me a beer and let me tell you some stories. Yeah. I think that's one of the funniest things about working in politics is, yeah, you tell somebody like, oh, yeah, I'm a field organizer for like Barack Obama or Bernie Sanders. And you're like, oh, so how many weekly meetings do you guys have? Yeah, like, how many one-on-ones do you guys have together? It's like, hmm, nope. Just, you should just pretend that you do. Like, yeah. Be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting coffee with them tomorrow. And no one gets hurt. They believe in democracy. It's really the yeah. best of all worlds. Yeah. It so. makes them feel special because yeah. they're like, damn, I'm talking to like, his like, personal Barack Obama's cousin. So, yeah, absolutely. Although I will say <laughs> that on, on Obama's campaign, I mean, there was a pretty good chance of getting some sort of official communication, especially if you like flagged it with someone on high, like, oh, this person has a really interesting story mm-hmm. or, you know, this person has knocked like, you know, 10,000 doors this year. Um, you'd, you know, you'd see people a lot of the time get like an official letter and an invite to get a picture with Obama. So I felt like that was one of the first campaigns that actually valued the people that were doing all of this hard work for them for mm-hmm. free. So that's what was really inspiring. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like that's a really important, important point that it's not just creating content around candidates, but it's, you know, using the stories of those people who are investing so much time and effort and also people you meet at the doors. Like you might find someone who's excited to vote for the first time and you can get a picture with them or get their story and they can really Mm -hmm. become a part of that campaign too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't agree with that enough because there were, you know, times when, you know, I I think of what a lot of people don't realize about, you know, what Obama was doing in 08 and 12 and kind of how um, presidential campaigns, you know, maybe that weren't Trump's uh, do now, is distributing the campaign into states and locally so that the campaigns in the states kind of feel like the places where they are. So, um, you know, I think when... So 
on the Obama campaign, every state had its own blog. So we would like post content and sort of push our social media feeds to the website where people could read and sign up to volunteer. Because at the end of the day, you know, the way we wanted to get people in through the content was to actually inspire them to do something. So mm -hmm. I think that's where kind of digital turns into, I think, a really powerful tool for actually getting people to do stuff. And so when, you know, a volunteer had a blog post on the website, you know, they would call me freaking out oh my God, I sent this to 100 people. I'm so excited. You know, it was just like a, a really small act to me, but a really big act to the super volunteers. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So digital, uh, what, what is, is it? <laughs> what would you say it is that you do here? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a big question. I mean, I think, you know, primarily what I do is using, um, email and uh, digital ads that you know build people's email lists to help them raise money to help them recruit volunteers and sort of build this giant pipeline of people that are going to help you know power the candidate to victory that's like the small you know elevator speech but i think um you know kind of more broadly what we were just talking about is telling the story of the campaign um so you know making sure people kind of understand who the candidate is and what they stand for, which these days <laughs> I think means less now that people are just so desperate to, to raise money, which, you know, unfortunately is pretty important in this age of politics with uh, thanks to Citizens United. Yeah. Fantastic. So you do the cyber is what you're saying. Doing the cyber. <laughs> so doing, but oh. also, yeah, so... So Obama was obviously like in 2008, he's known for having kind of like revolutionized email and like using email and using digital. And then how did like things change? Like you weren't on the campaign in 2008, but you were on it for the reelection campaign in 2012. Right. So how did things change between 2008 and like 2012 from your experience? Like, because I feel like the campaigns that are being run today and the amount that the digital space is being used, like, Things don't even look remotely the same from from the early 2000s to now. No, I mean, I mean, you know, the simple explanation is you look how quickly, um, you know, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter changed from 2009, you know, 2008 to 2012. I mean, when I was tweeting back in 2007, I think the only, you know, it was, a, it was actually 140 characters, mm -hmm. and you could post pictures that didn't look that great because our cell phone cameras weren't that good back then, um, and there were hashtags, but, like, that was about it, mm -hmm. um, and I think in 2012, there was a lot more you could do with Twitter, but there was definitely a lot more you could do with Facebook, and I right. think, like, that was sort of the big difference maker, you know, the the you know advertising suite on Facebook was a lot bigger. Um, there were a lot more opportunities for you know targeting and, and segmentation and doing more with the types of content that you could post. And also just in the email space too. I mean the CRMs. Uh, I, that's a little uh, jargony. CRM. Too yes, jargony. jargony. Sarah, break it down. It's jargony. We'll table it. Yeah, <laughs> basically the things that you use to send email. So I think what is the? I don't even actually know. I think it's constituent relationship management, management software mm -hmm. um you know a lot of marketers use that too but Kerm. uh yeah Kerm. <laughs> Kerm. exactly in the non-email departments we call it Kerm. <laughs> i yeah. love it i love it um so yeah i mean i just think that you know tech and innovation is moving faster than than most other industries and what 
social, you know, and social media platforms from 2012 and 2016 had changed exponentially too. Um, so yeah. Nice. Hmm. Um, so political consulting, uh, for most people, probably a dirty word who don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. So you've been a political consultant for a long time. Can you please defend yourself? <laughs> well, well, technically, so this this job is technically my first political consulting gig. So up until 2016, I was actually sort of on the staff side of a lot of campaigns. Um, and so that's a little different. So I was actually being paid on the campaign by the campaign you know working directly with the candidates and in the places that they were running so you're saying um, i have bad information you have bad information no 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 it's yeah it's so not. you're a consultant if you're not paid by the campaign and they hire you as an outside person to help them with their campaign so we're all consultants yes I, is this something i should have known do yes. i need to declare this somewhere what's happening i am consultant where's my dark money i mean that's you know, it's it's accurate, though, John. I will say it's accurate that I feel like digital people kind of have been the outsiders for a really long time on campaigns, um, you know, particularly because I think there's always sort of been, and, and I think that's changing now, but even in 2008 and 2012, there was always this rift between, you know, what digital was doing and how it actually benefited field. And there's always sort of been this tension, I think, between digital folks and the rest of the campaigns. I think it's also just a misunderstanding of what um, digital can do. I think that changed after 2016 and, you know, the claims made by the Trump campaign and the media about what they were able to do in influencing voters. But uh, I think overall there's always been this, this tension there. So in a lot of ways, like being the digital person on campaign was sometimes being like a consultant because we felt so kind of ostracized by the rest of the Well, campaign. you constantly have to, like, prove that what you're doing is, like, of value to the campaign, right? Because uh, field work is tried and true. It's been around for, like, as long as politics has been around. But digital is just, it's it's an infancy. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, field is campaigns. Like, I, I understand that, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, contacting voters and making sure they're coming out to the polls they're filling out their absentee ballots i mean it's it's absolutely critical mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's often just hard for or at least up until this bit this point it's been hard to see sort of like how the the role digital can play in you know rec actually recruiting volunteers and, and manpower and that can and that can be you know tough some sometimes i think in 2012 particularly on the obama campaign there were some tools that we tried that that didn't always go well, but uh, I think overall, you know, it kind of just takes a few months for everyone on a campaign staff to feel each other out and see what we can help contribute to each other. And I think at the end of the day, most field staff get it close to the end, mm -hmm. especially when they're trying to recruit people for uh, GOTV shifts. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I yeah. think what we deal with a lot, too, is as far as digital goes, people being so stuck and like we need to be on TV. We need to spend all of our money on TV. That's what that's where the people are. That's that's the that's still the hot thing, and um, it's just not working that way anymore. Especially in this past presidential election, we saw how really crazy micro targeting um, really built a crazy campaign for yeah, Donald Trump. And I think that that's part of the reason why digital is coming into its own in a very quick way. Besides just the results that you get, is that you're able to deliver 
metrics and data on what you're doing in a way that like obviously fundraising you can see how many dollars you get and mm -hmm. with field you can see how many doors you've knocked and how many people you've spoken to and with um, digital there's a lot of things that are coming out now where you can you know collect names and things like that and do fundraising through there and you're just able to get a lot of those metrics in a way that you know like John said television you just can't you don't know how many people saw it you can just right, you kind of hope it gets delivered <laughs> yeah. but you don't really know billboards are the future <laughs> we need to be on every square mile of 127 north if we want to win this election exactly or find a farmer that will put up a billboard on his, his property if, if you right. folks are from michigan and you've been on 96 either going eastbound or, or westbound there are some Republican billboards that have been up for a while. Oh, there's a Donald Trump one that's been yes. up for the entire election that's got something very graphic yeah. <laughs> spray painted on it. And whoever owns it just hasn't noticed or and I don't know. That great American hero who stopped at the side <laughs> of the road with a yeah. spray can. And it's not right off the side of the road. Like they had to <laughs> go trench. through like a trench and like probably some like sawgrass. <laughs> some ticks. And, but some ticks they did and stuff it. like that. But, hero. Then, but God bless them for doing there, it. There's a lot of tur wild turkeys out there too along 96. So they probably had to wrestle a few of those. Both well. the birds yeah. and the yeah. elk. We talked about this, we talked about this uh, before the election happened that, you know, Trump really had the market cornered for random. <laughs> Random signs on the side of the freeway, which I'm not 100% sure are legal if it's not like a licensed billboard. Yeah, I will say that there is a certain investment piece, both with billboards and signs and nice, well-meaning people at the doors trying to give you bottles of beer that people really like to feel like they feel very invested that they're a part of it and helped mm -hmm. in their way of doing advertising. And I think that's a place with digital, too, where when you can post things on your Facebook or your Twitter, it's, you know, a very low energy commitment, whereas Sad. putting a bumper sticker on your car might be there for three years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. But looping back towards the, you know, the digital investment piece, I think Lauren, what you were talking about and, you know, getting, you know, some real data and hard numbers and, you know, a sense of kind of what voter, how voters are reacting to the things, you know, that you might be, the ads you might be running. I think it's also a lot more nimble than TV. And I think uh, the consulting class, especially the TV consulting class, maybe doesn't like to admit that because they want to get, make money off some really big TV buys. Mm -hmm. um, and while that's still important, I think a recent example was, um, so we worked with this candidate, John Fetterman, and you know he ran in 2016. I worked on his campaign then. He definitely had an advantage having run statewide before. Um, but we, you know, helped deliver, you know, some digital ads and, you know, he was outspent, I think four to one on TV, mm -hmm. but he still won. And, you know, it just kind of goes to show that making really smart, like targeted, you know, small investments, um, in digital can really make a difference. And I mean, you're getting, you know, video views a lot cheaper than you are running, you know, ads during the bachelorette. Which, you know, I would watch because I watched The Bachelorette. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, follow us on Twitter this evening for Bachelorette <laughs> yeah. coverage. Yeah, we'll do live, <laughs> live Bachelorette coverage. Um, yeah, something else we want to talk to you about that uh, we talk about quite a bit. It's actually part of the namesake of the show, Midwest Nice, is the difference between political consultants, state level and in the Midwest and Michigan, things like that, versus firms in D.C. And um, it's very different cultures. Uh, between, you know, statewide and over in D.C. So 
was wondering what your uh, what your hot take was on the differences between those things. And how and, are we better than how, DC yes, consultants? How, how are we better? So. And you don't have to be nice about it because this is a podcast. We don't have to censor ourselves. Great. So (laughs) here we go. Break out the list. Yes. Um, You know, I I think my big thing is I think I think Democrats in particular and, you know, are really stuck on sort of the upper centers of like consulting power being in Washington, D.C. and New York. And I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Like Washington, D.C. is where Congress is and where our president is and where a lot of, you know, fundraisers are. Um, but it's it's just really unfortunate to me that, you know, they kind of like it's kind of the epicenter of all the power. And when, you know, we us Democrats complain a lot about how, you know, we want to win back voters, but we don't have many consulting firms outside of the Beltway. Like that to me is really weird. And I think that's like one of the things that I've noticed from like Democrat and Republican firms, you see a lot more Republican firms in other places. Like one, you know, Republican digital firm that we talk a lot about in the office is uh, Harris Media. I think they're based in Austin, and I think they're one of the biggest, you know, digital political consultants. They also like working with Nazis, so that kind of stinks. Mm. Um, but, ooh, I just <laughs> called out someone by name. Oops. <laughs> um, it's okay when they're enforcing Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever the fuck you want. Um, you know, I will say this. I mean, I do like to follow what they do. And I think it is really important for us as Democrats to follow what Republican digital political consultants are doing, clearly, you know, after the 2016 election. Um, but yeah, I think overall, we just... We make this mistake of kind of sticking to the coasts and not, um, you know, flyover country gets mocked and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just, yeah, endlessly mocked all the time. And, you know, I, I, when we talk about wanting to take back Congress, it's like, well, why don't you come, you know, to Ohio or Michigan for a year and, and see what it's really like? Because I have a feeling people would learn a lot um, by setting up shop in other places. Um, well, to the coast credit, before Google Hangouts, when it took a four-day horse ride <laughs> to get to Washington, D.C., it was probably really important that you were located out that, there. That was the jump Absolutely. from horse rides <laughs> yes. to Google Hangouts. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was no in-between. Yeah. But now there's no excuse. Like, we're past the horses. The yeah. horses are in the stalls. The Priuses are ready to rumble. We have yeah. Priuses like, also here. Right de- out here. Also in defense of the coast, as somebody, well, we talked about this when I went to uh, San Francisco for the first time. The coasts are very nice. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I understand the, I the lure, agree. the draw to the coast. And there's definitely something to be said. I mean, obviously, we do work across the country and I think have good relationships with people across the country. But there's something to be said for, you know, Midwestern candidates going with Midwestern firms and having people who really understand their voice and um, what they're what they're about and if you want coasts michigan is basically one big coast (laughs) see that's the thing third coast baby it's a big high five on the coast coastal elites and the water and the water doesn't sting your eyes (laughs) no when you get in it mary i'll just vetoed that very quickly but i think the message is yeah buy local shop local get your political consultants yeah (laughs) yeah i think at the end of the day it's really right Thank you, John. Was it, was it funny? That was very earnest and nice. And oh. we're putting it on our sign now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But I think, yeah, overall, like, I, you know, I, I lived on the East Coast for a while. I, I still love it. I miss, you know, Boston. I miss Philly. Uh, there are things that I miss. But I do think that there is something to be said about, you know, particularly, like, people. I remember I was at a conference earlier this year, and I ran into this um, 
you know, very earnest college Democrat who was asking me questions about how to get involved. And, you know, she lived in Florida and was talking about wanting to move to D.C. And I'm like, no, no, don't move to D.C. Like get, you know, your organizing experience here in Florida. Cut your teeth. It's a battleground state. Like, you know, give it the college try <laughs> before you decide try. to spend like three thousand dollars a month on rent in D.C. Yeah, it's brutal, especially if you're starting off and you're young and you're about to go into like an internship or an entry level position like you're going to struggle hard. Yeah, it's pretty hard to be grassroots in D.C. <laughs> when the rent is $3,000 a month. And when you look at the New York Times interviewing any random white farmer in any state that Donald Trump won in 2016, like people in D.C. are going to start looking for people who have experience in battleground states, right. whether they stay in those states or go to D.C. So to any Floridian college Democrats out there, stay where you are for a couple of years Waited mm-hmm. out through 2020. Michigan political consultants. We know how to talk to farmers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think even, um, like, my last point, too, is that you find, is particularly, unfortunately, a lot of these firms are, you know, white male dominated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes sense that, especially, you know, some of the people in D.C. that, you know, work at firms that also work in Capitol Hill, you know, they are by and large white and these are the people that can afford you know to pay rent while they're making next to nothing on a you know internship on the hill and so it sort of creates this like you know vacuum of people that probably grew up you know fairly wealthy you know could afford to spend a few years in dc not making anything and probably having their parents pay for it, you know, not knocking it. My parents helped me a lot. I was privileged. (laughs) But I think it also just creates this vacuum of, like, little experience when you have people that, you know, have lived all the experiences like you have running the show at all these consulting firms, too. So, yeah. Yeah, so many of the people that are out there in D.C., like, interning for offices and things like that, it's like they're not getting paid anything. So how are they affording living out there? Well, they, you know, their parents are helping them there. Maybe they went to really good colleges, and so they're getting grants and things like that. So yeah, so yeah um, basically we just need to pay our interns, and that's like a real problem for Democrats too. It is. It's yeah. a huge problem for Democrats, and there was actually a point a couple years ago I interned on the Hill, and uh, more Republicans were actually paying their interns than Democrats were, which is outrageous. But I believe either the House or the Senate just passed a bill freeing up $5 million to uh, put towards paying hill interns and that and that comes at the activism of a lot of different groups who are pushing um to pay interns because it's a huge problem so anyway i digress but i think that we're making headway there because we saw how ridiculous and hypocritical that was yeah um yeah let's take a uh, quick break do something fun for a moment but that was a great conversation Woo! <laughs> all right uh so back by popular demand uh by popular demand if I the couple of people that I talked to about the show <laughs> that, that seem to like it uh, we're going to do Michigan Man vs. Florida Man again yes. uh, so the name of the game is that uh, I'm going to read the, the title of an article omitting the state where it's from in the title uh, and you have to guess whether this was a Florida man or a Michigan man there are four total there could be two of each there could be one and three there's no particular order um, so you just gotta, just gotta make your best guess so, first article, blank man arrested after asking police to test his meth. Ooh. 
could really go either way. Blank man arrested after asking police to test his meth. That's got to be Florida, baby. Mario says Florida. Yeah, this is really hard. Um, I'm going to also say Florida. Okay. I'm just going to be, uh, I'm just going to go for Michigan. Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, you are all right, except for Sarah. <laughs> Florida man. Florida Sarah, man. Trust your gut on this show. Okay? Florida man arrested after asking police to test his meth. So a man in Hawthorne, Florida was arrested after bringing meth to a local police department to check its quality. He told police he wanted to press charges against the man who sold him the meth because it caused a, quote, violent reaction after smoking the drug. Detectives told Kelly they would be able to test the drug if he came into the sheriff's office. Police said Kelly then drove to the sheriff's office and handed detectives a clear crystal-like substance wrapped in aluminum foil. The field test proved it was methamphetamine, the drug Kelly had hoped to purchase. Kelly was arrested and charged with possession of methamphetamine. Uh, The Putnam County Sheriff's Department stated on Facebook, remember, our detectives are always ready to assist anyone who believes they were misled in their illegal drug purchase. Yep. Oh, Florida. (laughs) All right. Seems like he might have been on something when he made that He could have already been on meth. Well, apparently (laughs) he was, and it did not go well for him. Yeah. So don't do meth, kids. Yeah. It's a PSA. (laughs) And if you're going to do meth, (laughs) make sure you have a reputable buyer so you don't have to go to the police to test it for you. It's a PSA from your friends at Midwest Nice. All right, next story. Blank man says he lost at least $4,500 in online monkey purchase and has warning for other shoppers. Okay, just going to say that uh, mm-hmm. monkeys were brought up last time. I know. Mm-hmm. So Blank man says he lost at least $4,500 in online monkey purchase and has warning for other shoppers. So here's my thing. I think Mariel pointed out last week, Florida seems like a monkey state. You know, but the guy apparently either didn't get his monkey or found out it was a cat once he got it in the mail. <laughs> mm. So Michigan? Uh, I'm going to say Florida. I just yeah, Michigan but, just doesn't seem like an exotic animal state. You're right, but the thing is is I feel like Florida has maybe a lot of them. So maybe so this man know in Michigan to... was like I need a monkey, I don't know who to trust because none of my friends here have monkeys. Florida, terrible for drug dealers, great for exotic animal dealers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you're the tie-breaking vote. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for Michigan on this one. I just feel like, you know, you could probably walk up to a convenience store somewhere in Florida and get one. So. <laughs> Bodega monkeys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the majority of you are right. It was Michigan. Michigan man who says he lost at least $4,500 in online monkey purchase as a warning for other shoppers. So a Michigan man is warning others after his online search for an exotic pet cost him thousands of dollars. Uh, Don Abrigo said, quote, I needed a monkey. I needed to be different. Uh, He told this to a radio. He apparently was interviewed at a Grand Rapids radio station. Um, He wanted a capuchin monkey, same monkey that was in that car from the story last week. Uh, and found one three weeks ago that was supposedly in Hawaii. However, as soon as his first $400 payment cleared, the shipper started asking for mon- more money. Kept saying he needed, there was new taxes for shipping it and then like vaccinations, things like that. Which like, it's weird because I, I feel like the only reason he wasn't arrested is because he ended up not getting the monkey. Because I don't think he could just own a monkey. No. Unless uh, he got the permit for it I or mean, something. it depends on where. I don't know if Michigan feel like they don't give permits but this, for monkeys exotic. here. But it was funny how they framed the story as like, this is just like a regular like 
pissed off consumer. He's like, I has a warning for other shoppers. <laughs> Anyone else out there trying to buy capuchin monkeys from this guy in Hawaii? <laughs> Don't do it. He yeah. posted it on Ripoff Report. Yeah. yeah. It's a great source. Uh, wow. Yeah, another. I thought that might throw people because the monkey one last week was Just Florida. Me. Just me. John, we uh, understand how your mind works. All right. Uh, next one. Blank man says his dog was approved for unemployment benefits. Oh. Blank man says his dog was approved for unemployment benefits. That's, uh, seems like somebody forged some paperwork. I don't know. Michigan has had a lot of problems. That's with what I was going to say recently. But I also feel like Florida's system probably isn't great either. What are you saying about Florida? Oh, they have good. I'm, I'm gonna go Michigan on this there. one. Our unemployment conversation here has been pretty jacked up, so it would not uh, surprise me whatsoever. I'm gonna go Florida. I'm gonna go Florida. You both going Florida? Yeah. All right. Uh, majority of you got that wrong. That was Michigan. <laughs> Michigan man says his dog was approved for unemployment benefits. So Saugatuck, Michigan. Uh, Michigan man said he received a letter notifying him that the family dog had been approved for state unemployment benefits. Michael Haddock joked to, this is another uh, interview apparently to a radio station, that his German shepherd Riley is currently out of work, saying, I understand he was let go from his last position in Rochester Hills, Michigan. So Haddock received a letter from Michigan's unemployment insurance agency notifying him that Michael Ryder was approved for $360 a week in benefits. Wow. And they came to find out later that, yeah, it was um, somebody filing fraudulent paperwork. I'm not sure if it was like one of their estranged family members or something like that. Probably was. But, yeah, they approved a dog for unemployment benefits. Was Sagatuck the place from last week's story about the purse theft? No, that was Holland. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Seems like that was like a right-wing test of being like, see, see, this dog can get unemployment. That's a really good point. This yeah. is the future so liberals don't fall want. for it. <laughs> Dogs in unemployment? They well, work yeah. hard. It said that they, you know, they to they filed a, a report and stuff like that, and they've already gotten it taken care of. And To be fair, I do believe that German Shepherds it. are in the working class. In, they are um, working dog dogs. So. You're right. Was the dog like, you know, a police dog, <laughs> a seeing eye yeah. dog, some other Maybe. kind of dog? I think know? we should be rewarding him for his service I with pats think, and seems like a good boy. I should be demeaning him yep. if all he was trying to do is uh, help provide for his family. <laughs> all right. Uh, last story of the week. Blank man charged in theft of zoo animals. Four still missing. What is up? Something about zoo animals. I, I, and just to let you know, there are a lot, when I search on like Google News for these stories, most of them are very dark. So I had to, you know, I'm cherry picking the ones that are sort of nice. So they're, yeah. they're not all zoo animal stories when you search for things. <laughs> I'm, I'm going past a lot of murder, a lot of arson. Yeah. I'm going to go Florida on this one. Uh, seems like a better place to have zoo animals hanging out in your backyard. But okay. Yeah, better climate. I also feel like this is kind of a... A boring cop-out, but I feel like I would have heard about it. Yeah, I don't think we have enough zoos that I wouldn't have heard about someone stealing a giraffe mm -hmm. from a Michigan zoo, so mm. also Florida. All right. Uh, it was good sleuthing. It was Florida. Uh, so a man who lives Boom. near the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, from which 11 animals were recently stolen, wow. was arrested Tuesday afternoon in connection with the theft, and the investigation is ongoing. Cedric Price, age 20, 
is charged with grand theft, according to the police department, because uh, the value of the animals was between $10,000 and $20,000. Uh, Price is accused in the report of taking a squirrel monkey, Solomon Island skink, and nine turtles. <laughs> uh, I think some of the turtles are still missing, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's Florida, so they'll survive. Do we know if he was trying to sell the monkey on the internet? Because I they think we might have a connection between our stories. The only reason they could... There wasn't any sort of statement from the guy about why he did it, um, so the only possible explanation they could think of is that he was going to try to sell them as exotic yeah. pets yeah um that's the best that i could come up with maybe we've uncovered the connection maybe this is so. a true crime i think he podcast was like i i ordered a capuchin monkey and i got a squirrel monkey in the mail do not buy mm-hmm. your monkeys mail order that would make a fun podcast like stupid crime instead of like really dark murder mm-hmm. yeah yeah call it i would stupid listen crime. to that i think we have a podcasting network now yeah we could yeah let's start another one mm-hmm uh, good round. You did pretty well today. Sarah, do you get all those right? No, I got one wrong. I okay. got three right. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good for your first. Well, this it's is only the second time I've ever played this game, so <laughs> the, the statistics are not there yet. But I think you did well. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's get into a current event real quick. We're uh, doing pretty well on time, so. Or the opposite of pretty well on time. We're going longer than usual, so. <laughs> don't have to talk about it too much. Um. So, well, actually, we should, because this is a big one. Um, So this was a big, uh, it was all across the national news, and it's going to have some big implications, obviously, and that's that the Supreme Court upheld Ohio's uh, purge of voter rolls. Um, So basically what had happened is uh, this past Monday, the Supreme Court uh, voted to uh, uphold Ohio's aggressive efforts to purge its voting rolls, uh, siding with Republicans who are really trying to push this issue, um, and have been fighting a battle for a while over how far states can go in imposing restrictions on voting. Um, so the, the court ruled that states can kick people off of uh, the voter rolls if they skip a few elections uh, without uh, noticing election officials. And I think it can actually happen really quick. You can only, you know, you can miss like just one or two votes and they can purge you from the voter rolls. The final vote was five to four with more conservative justices in the majority. So, yeah, Republicans have pushed uh, for these restrictions for a while. They are sort of at the forefront of pushing for getting less people to vote um, and finding ways to keep people from voting. Uh, the Democrats who have been pushing back on this for quite a while um, because they're, they are saying that this is an attempt to suppress voting by Democratic constituencies, particular minorities, because um, I guess when this has been happening in, in Ohio and in other areas, uh, the pattern has typically been to purge voter rolls in Democratic voting areas a lot more quickly than in Republican voting areas. Um, I'm sure everybody has a lot of thoughts on this. I have a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. I have a lot maybe of more feelings. Yeah. Spill. Um, so for our listeners at home who aren't old enough to remember the 2000 election, um, this is one of the big things that happened in Florida is that a lot of people came to their polling place knowing that they had registered to vote five, ten years before didn't have a huge reason to turn out because they knew Bill Clinton was going to win, went to vote for Al Gore, and then found out that they had been purged from the polling place because they didn't return these cards. Mm -hmm. And one of the tactics that they were using is making it look like it was coming from the Republican Party or the Republican Party could like challenge them by sending out the cards and then saying, hey, we didn't get a response to the state, so they must not be who they say they are. They're not living where they say that they are. Um, and it's just unfair and, like John said, really aimed at disenfranchising 
Democratic voters, especially minorities, young people, folks who have things to do with their time and mm -hmm. don't always get mm -hmm. their mail. Yeah, and I mean, also a problem is that, yeah, younger people especially are constantly moving. Yeah. Um, you may be living at home, you might go to college, you might come back. Um, you know, just moving from apartment to apartment is a thing that a lot of young people do constantly. Um, and we all know that young people tend to swing left. So, um, I mean, this is really like, if you look at this one isolated incident, you can say, well, sure, it makes sense. Like, you know, we got to make sure that uh, that uh, people are voting at the right addresses or whatever. But like this is within a context of Republicans for decades, some might say centuries, um, because it is centuries trying to suppress people from voting who they don't want to vote. And I think that this is like um, there's a battle in this country between like these two beliefs of like what democracy and and what voting is in our country and like what role it plays republicans believe that like voting is a privilege and they believe that it's beneficial for some people to vote and some people not to vote and democrats believe that everybody needs to vote no matter what there's huge pushes to register people to vote there haven't really been conservative organizations that i know of anyway who have done like huge voter registration drives been really pushing youth out to vote like pushing really hard and and i think that it's just um it's a classic republican tactic they know that uh the way that things are going is out of their favor so they're using things like voter suppression gerrymandering um and stacking courts etc to uh to push things in their direction. You can tell yeah. that I have a lot of feelings on this. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, and to that point, part of the reason why they don't do mass voter outreach drives is because in a lot of states, older voters get an absentee ballot application in the mail automatically mm -hmm. just based on their age. And so instead of sending them note cards asking, do you still live here? It feels like you might not live here anymore. Mm -hmm. Let's take away your right to vote. Mm -hmm. They're sending them just a ballot in the mail just right. because of their age. Right. And so... You know, that's one. It Once a year, around this time, when the Supreme Court starts handing out their decisions in June, it dawns on me how crazy it is that you have to register to vote. Yeah. That I mean, yeah. A lot of states are moving <laughs> towards universal voter registration. Like, I know in Vermont, um, once you hit 18, you're yeah. automatically registered to vote. Yeah, Oregon just did that, too. Yeah, I think Oregon it, did or, just do yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just, you're, every, everything that's been said has been fantastic and I don't have much else to add. I just, I do think that it's uh, pretty crazy that we have one party that, um, you know, instead of talking about, you know, good ideas, it's all about just, you know, suppressing as many people as possible from voting. It's just and, very absurd and yeah. frustrating. And playing on people's insecurities and literally making up the fact that people are voting fraudulently, which isn't happening. Um, and I also think that we need to realize that like this is like a super slippery slope ruling in that it's saying like your right hinges on you using that right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's really scary because if we want to talk about other rights, think about that, think about things like the Second Amendment, you know, your eligibility to buy a gun is based on if you've bought a gun in the past two to four years, otherwise like you lose your ability like maybe that's not the best example but i'm just saying like i fire my guns in the air every day just <laughs> you must sure. fire your gun in the air once a month. Is, you gotta stay frosty i am an active gun user so. yeah every day like that's just but that line of thinking is really bizarre because right. it's 
it's it's a really fascinating interpretation of the Constitution, like in a way that is just bizarre and feels totally arbitrary. Um, like the time limitation, like I feel like there's a, a lot of other things you could say, like this right hinges on your ability to, I don't know, go to work. Like you have to work to be able to vote. Like all these well, other things, you know. A, that's a thing that they did right. once. So. Yeah, and, and in North Carolina right now, I think that uh, they have a law being introduced that is a voter ID law. Yeah. Um, and all of, all of these things are introduced because they want to limit young people, they want to limit poor people, they want to limit people of color because these are people who are strong Democratic voting blocks, and yeah. we all know that. Yeah, they started talking again about, like, tests. Yeah. For, like... You know, literacy tests. Yeah, yeah, li- yeah basically, yeah. you know, anyone who's taken social studies has seen the implications of that and how it's been used in the past. And here's the thing I know a lot of people who know a lot about history and about America and core democratic values who have some really dumb opinions about voting. Yeah. So, don't you think it must be just like a completely different understanding of the role that voting plays in our democracy like it's a completely like i don't see it that way like we're not speaking democrats and republicans don't speak to each other on the voting issue it's like one believes everybody needs to vote period the other believes that's not true yeah well and it's it's cases like this that really bring these to the forefront because i didn't hear anything about this i was really focused on the um janice case which Mm -hmm. is probably going to be decided i think next monday or the following Mm -hmm. monday um, about the uh, right to work for public unions. Um, but people got all up in arms about this, and it's like there's another case that I don't know if it's where it is right now or if it's already been decided in a lower court, but about whether or not um, representation is decided by the number of registered voters or the number of people mm. in a district, which is like kind of a wonky idea, but really impacts how lines are drawn and how these things are. There was another case about um, they just denied two gerrymandering cases at the Supreme Court today, um, and the liberal justices gave, like, some hints on how they could, you know, get them back again in the future. Um, And so it's like this kind of stuff is being decided, like, on a daily basis, but if we're not attentive and paying attention, you know, we might not be able to um, choose the justices, but we get to choose the people who choose them. So vote, guys. Mm -hmm. Heavy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Can we get some silver uh, linings, John? Yeah, for, yeah uh, please. So, Sounds good. Hurry. Yeah, so that, that was a good discussion. <laughs> uh, far-reaching implications probably coming on that. We'll uh, continue to monitor the situation. We're your number one place to get news about <laughs> but this. But now place. let's go to the real news. Now, now yeah. let's go to the real but news. Now, yeah, um, and I don't want to you know, downplay the significance of the, the Ohio voter, pur- voter purging uh, story that we just talked about. But this story is definitely bigger. Um, <laughs> so so uh, the title is A Woman Saved a Drowning Squirrel Using CPR She Learned on the Office. Um, so it's our weekly Make Lauren Cry <laughs> over a nice animal story segment. It could be. It very well could be. We'll see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the well, what actually happened is pretty much exactly what the story says. But So I'll just read some, some tidbits from it. So the CPR training session in Season 5 of The Office... It uh, didn't do much for the employees of Dunder Mifflin, but it looks like at least one person got something from the lesson. Uh, so last week, this is actually like from a couple of months ago, is, but I had to I had to show this, uh, talk about this. But yeah, so uh, Natalie uh, Natalie Belsito, a freshman at Central Michigan University, spotted a tiny squirrel drowning in a campus pond. 
She said, I couldn't just leave it. Uh, it was definitely drowning because it was really slow when we saw it, and it started to dip its head under the water. So with the help of a long-armed guy who just happened to be walking by, <laughs> she was able to fish the animal out of the water, and when she did, she found that the squirrel wasn't breathing. Thinking fast, she dug into the recesses of her brain and pulled out some <laughs> CPR skills that she had learned from the NBC comedy The Office. Yes. Uh, these skills mostly involve chest compressions to the tempo of BG's song Staying Alive. <laughs> Uh, but instead of getting sidetracked singing like Michael Scott does, uh, Belsito heroically managed to stay focused and got the critter's heart breathing, beating again. Wow. And then uh, after the CPR, Belsito warmed the squirrel with a hairdryer as it regained its strength and then released it a few hours later, happy and healthy, back into the wild where it scurried up a tree. Uh, and she said, after it ran up the tree, we were all screaming and our minds were blown, honestly. The whole night, we couldn't stop talking about what had happened. Natalie, please come on our show. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Yeah, this happened like four months ago, by Can the way. Can we get the long art guy, too? Because I really want to. Yeah. You know, he's the real and, MVP. And really the squirrel yeah. guy. Absolutely. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Mammals do not belong in water. <laughs> That's a controversial <laughs> opinion. You wouldn't see a fish on land. You wouldn't see a mammal in the water. And that's some folksy wisdom from the Midwest. It's Warrior. folksy. It's folksy already. Right. Aren't whales mammals? And we tried to hunt them to extinction. It's the ex- so. exception that proves the point. Whatever it is. <laughs> Free Willy. Free yeah. Willy. But yeah. Also, funny part about this article is that it was from Vice.com. <laughs> we normally, you know, if it was like girl, like, you know, accidentally feeds marijuana edibles to a squirrel, <laughs> that would be a Vice article. I think there was, yeah. there this is the follow up to that story. That's why the squirrel was in the water in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it very well could be. Um, thought it was important to bring the story up. Like I said, don't want to downplay the significance of the Supreme Court ruling on Ohio voter purging, but I think this one might just be a little bit more important. Mm. This yeah. is what I call self-care, you know, <laughs> reading a story like yeah. this. We need to. It's very important these yeah. days. Um, also, I wanted to give a quick shout-out. Uh, so we, our office is in Rio Town in Lansing. It's a cool up-and-coming hip neighborhood uh, on Washington Street. And I was last weekend. There was a uh, like a beer fest there. I didn't end up going to that, but I saw there was a lot of people that signs up for all the new businesses that are going in. And uh, yeah, El- El- first of all, Ellison Brewery what? is opening yep. up a new location in Rio Town. So you know right that down the street. that uh. building that like it w- had fire damage. It like looks yeah. sort of like an old factory. There's a big sign on the side of it now that says Ellis Brewery coming winter 2018. So Ooh. not very far away. I Game meant changer. to mention that to you because I saw that. Yeah, I was on a walk. I think it was their last. They might have put it there like last Sunday. They were hanging it up on Friday. When oh, I was really? driving home from work. Yeah, they were hanging okay. the sign up. Wait, winter 2018? Yeah, yeah well, so I was going to say, shouldn't it say winter 2019? But mm. I think that maybe well, it's going to happen December. If it's happening in December before right. December oh boy, 31st. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> please come on our show. So, yeah. Office Christmas Ellison, Yeah, please sponsor us. Um, please sponsor. <laughs> yeah, Ellison Brewery. They make really, really, really good beer. They're in East Lansing in sort of a weird location right now. So Dude, It's pretty awesome. should be pretty sweet. Pretty yeah, yeah great New England IPAs for really? us New England peeps. Um, nice. So then we know about there's a lot of other, there's like, Pablo's that's opening this cool taco bar, tequila bar kind of thing near us and some other things. And then another one that I saw that I did not know about is uh, there's signs up for bullseye axe throwing is going to what do you know the if you go down here to Mount Hope, there's a big building that used to be QD. It's like a big industrial Uh building. Mm -hmm. It's inside of there on the backside and it's open already and you can like rent out like 
It's like playing darts but throwing axes. I'm I'm <laughs> kind of shocked that Lansing has an axe throwing place before They're getting anywhere popular. else in Michigan. Yeah, no, I I've heard of them there's, in Philadelphia. There's one in Detroit, I believe. I've seen photos from a lot of political fundraisers. There you go. So there you, we'll go. you know, Didn't know. Is. we need to do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We should take a uh, podcast trip there. And <clears throat> sounds like another sponsor. Try not to accidentally yeah, it sounds like another off. sponsor. I just I just want to say that's a very coastal thing to like gentrify woodworking it's like mm-hmm. a very funny it like, is carving look at bars. michigan catching up to the rest of us here we yeah, go we're hip we're cool we're with it's it because people here still chop wood with axes like that's still a thing yeah, we people just got to them. eat their homes i wonder if you can bring your own axe <laughs> i bet you could bring your own wood too yeah you're yeah. right but I, yeah i saw pictures from the inside it like it's got a legitimate look to it it's got these different booths and targets and do they sell well, maybe selling alcohol wouldn't be the no, best No, they do idea not have the drinks there, I don't think. Place. I know some of the places are. I think the are one in Detroit yeah. does. Yeah. It's I don't like think a bar this, that just set it up in the back. I don't think this one does yet. But they, like, just opened. Mm. But, yeah, they they have a website. You can just Google Bullseye Axe Throwing Lansing. What about Ellison um, Brewery? Have you seen any, like, Facebook posts or anything? I that? didn't look, to be honest. I just saw that sign yeah. go up. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out to our new neighbors that are coming. Nice. Um, great episode. Great to have Sarah on. Talking thanks, about guys. digital, yeah, talking thanks, about Sarah. lots of stuff. Um, it's good when we have any guest on. I'm sick of talking to you people. <laughs> <laughs> You're boring. We're only 11 episodes deep. All right. So if you haven't already, what the heck are you doing? The Please heck? follow us. Um, like, subscribe, rate our podcast. You can follow us on at Midwest Nice Cast on Twitter. Um, we're at the same handle. Um, no, just kidding. We're at, at Midwest Nice Podcast on Instagram, and then John can tell you what our really long website name is that we're never going to fix. Midwest-nice.pinecast.co. Uh, you can go to that website, too, and there's links on there to all the other places where you can find it. But you can yeah. pretty much find us anywhere. So, yeah, subscribe to us, like us, give us reviews, tell us nice things about ourselves. Please clap. Tell us that our hair looks good today. Yes. Things like that. Perfect. Uh, please clap. And yeah, great episode. And uh, we will we will we will be we'll be back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.